You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Lord, as we dig into your word and work our way through the book of Acts, just, uh, just I'm so blessed by the songs today that we've sung that are songs of consecration of our self to you, Lord, of our lives to you. Lord, just uh, falling on our knees, offering all of me as we sang. And so I give my life a sacrifice of praise. Father, take my heart, every part today. Lord, those aren't just words on a screen, but those are just cries of our heart. Lord, not one of us here has arrived. Every one of us has things that we're holding on to that's hindering us from just pursuing you with reckless abandon. And so today, just reveal to us who and what those things are. Lord, give us the strength to lay those things aside and to follow hard after you. Lord, just encourage us and spur us on as we read this book, as we study this book, the account of the Acts of the Apostles. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week in chapter 17, we studied Paul's ministry to the uh, people of Athens uh, there in Greece, uh, just a real community that loved knowledge and loved talking and studying about new things all the time. And, uh, and so Paul went there to Athens, and as he looked at the city, he was just sickened by the idolatry in that community. And he was able, the Lord opened up an opportunity for him to preach uh, the gospel to the Athenians there. And as he preached that, uh, that the, the people there in Athens were created by God, they were made by God in his image, they, that God created the whole universe, in fact, and that God is the sustainer of the whole universe, and that that God will one day judge the living and the dead uh, by the man, Jesus Christ. Uh, by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And as uh, Paul closed that by saying that God's bore witness to this through Jesus rising from the dead, it says there at the end of chapter 17, uh, verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some people mocked, and others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. And then verse 34, some men joined Paul. And believe. We see three different responses as the gospel was preached. Some mocked the gospel. Uh, some procrastinated and say, oh, I'll receive Christ later or I'll obey later. I'll hear you again later on this matter. But then some believed. And my prayer today as we study this book, the book of Acts chapter 18, is that uh, you would believe, that you would receive, that you would respond to God with an obedient faith. And so as we're there, uh, in verse 1, Paul left after these things. Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, some 50 miles away from Athens. Man, Paul was hoofing it. You know, he traveled so far on foot and boat. And uh, just some things about Corinth there. It's located in the southern end of Greece in the bottom of the Achaia Peninsula there. Uh, there was a channel that went through the middle of the city, a canal that brought a lot of prosper to the city, a lot of wealth and luxury uh, to this town uh, that spanned five miles. It was the capital of the province of Achaia there and was known for its wealth as well as for its sensual excesses. Uh, including all forms of sexual morality and worshiping the goddess of fertility, Aphrodite. Um, there in Corinth, the Isthmian Games were held, which were second only to the Olympic Games, which, which were held there in Athens. But the thing about Corinth that we want to look at is that Corinth was, Corinth was an immoral city, an immoral place, similar to your office place. Uh, similar to uh, your workplace, similar to Prineville, um, but really on a, on a grand scale, much like perhaps a Las Vegas or a Hollywood or something like that. It was a city out of control with sexual immorality and with drunkenness. Uh, and, and really the word Corinthian was synonymous with immorality. 
there in Rome as, as plays and um, actors would, would act in plays. If anyone had the part of the Corinthian in a play, it was known, hey, that guy's the drunk in the play. That guy's the immoral guy in the play. Perhaps you've heard the term the Corinthian girl. Speaking of harlots and prostitutes, and maybe your mom yelled at you when you were a kid, you're not leaving this house dressed like a Corinthian girl, you know, and maybe they didn't because that's an old school term, I guess. But um, this huge temple to the goddess of fertility, Aphrodite, would bring in thousands of temple prostitutes on a regular basis who would offer up their bodies um, um, to this goddess. And uh, they're in uh, uh, Corinth. We see that verse two, he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all of the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. And so we read of this Aquila and Priscilla who would become such dear friends to Paul. I remember in high school, I would read this chapter and, and uh, I'd always wonder, man, which one's the wife and which one's the husband? You know, Aquila and Priscilla and, you know, name your sons manly names for goodness sakes. Bob and Larry and George, you know, and then there's no confusion. And really, if you would have read the verse, you know who it is. Aquila is the husband. Priscilla is the wife there. Awesome friends of Paul and, and amazing laborers. For the gospel. In Romans chapter 16, verse 4, you read that Aquila and Priscilla risked their necks for Paul's own life, and he would give thanks for that. And then it says, But all of the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for this amazing husband and wife team that poured out their life and risked their necks for the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, as we read of Paul and, and uh, or excuse me, and Aquila and Priscilla here in Corinth, Acts 18. We read of their uh, hearty greeting to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. They loved this town that they met Paul in. It was a very special place. But we read that they came to Corinth because of an, of an exile, because of them being expelled from Rome due to anti-Semitism in AD 49. Claudius had a hatred for Jews that would end up spreading across the whole world. A secular historian named Sertorius wrote this, that the Jews were expelled from Rome because of riots that would develop over a man named Christus. And some scholars today believe that very Christus is our Christ and that the gospel had made its way to Rome by this time in the exact same um, response that Paul had had in his first and second missionary journey of riots and, you know, persecution uh, were happening to the Roman Christians at this time. But these Jewish, uh, whether they were saved yet or not, uh, we know that by the time they're done with this encounter with Paul, man, they are serving the Lord. They're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in verse three, it says, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both the Jews and the Greeks. So Aquila and Priscilla had this occupation of tent makers, something that Paul himself also had, which was an, a convenient connection to minister to them, whether it was that he shared the gospel to them there or they were already believers and he just encouraged them on in the faith. But uh, you see just this uh, incredible opportunity that Paul had in his job to reach out and to minister on the love of Christ here. God in his sovereignty placed Aquila and Priscilla there with him uh, and to work with him. And in his sovereignty, he's placed your co-workers around you that you might be a light and an example and a bearer of the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But notice here that Paul worked a regular job here in Corinth. Wasn't always the case, but often he would work a regular job and he would still find time to reach out to the community. And man, what a word for us, for you who work so hard during the week. And man, I know you guys aren't afraid to labor and sweat and get dirty and roll up your shirt sleeves and put on your work boots and get it done. But don't let that be an excuse to be silent about the name of Jesus Christ and to never raise the banner, whether it's at your work or outside of your work, be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Paul here worked hard for the gospel, both in his job and outside of his job. And the Jewish rabbis would proclaim that if you didn't teach your children how to work a trade or a vocation, that you were actually teaching your child to be a thief. 
I don't think that's so bad, actually. You know, we should be teaching our sons and our daughters how to work. In 2 Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Whether you have a job or not, there's lots to do in this community and even in this church. Paul wasn't uh, afraid, or awayed, however. Paul wasn't afraid to work for his ministry and for the people around him. In Acts chapter 20, verse 34 and 35, he says, Man, you know yourselves how these hands have worked to provide for my necessities and also for those who were with me. Time and time again throughout the New Testament, Paul just reminds people, hey man, we labor working with our hands. And you know how we toiled laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any one of you. Second, Second Thessalonians 3.8, now we didn't eat anybody's bread free of charge, but we worked and labored and toiled night and day that we might not be a burden. Paul didn't want to burden people and put a sour taste in people's mouths about the gospel. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-12, through 12, he gives a good case for a, a minister to be supported as he is working and laboring for the furtherance of the kingdom of God and for the gospel. In verse 6 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Who goes to war at his own expense? Or who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God's concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope. He who threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. If, if we've sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we've not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul was the guy that worked and recognized that someone who gives his life to the studying of the word of God and, and to prayer and to the facilitation of the ministry has that right to, uh, to be supported in that ministry. But Paul never wanted to have that bitter taste in these churches and in these cities that he was going as a missionary. As Silas and Timothy, we're going to read in a second, Silas and Timothy end up meeting him there in Corinth. And as they did, they brought a gift from the Philippians, uh, a financial offering. And Paul was overjoyed with that financial offering. But he says, you know what, guys? I don't seek the gift itself. But he says, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, it's great that you gave me this offering, this gift, this financial. This will help in the ministry. But that's not what I'm after. I'm after you guys just walking and, and you know, being used by the Lord. And, it, and it's a grace to be able to give to somebody. That's a gift to actually be getting to give. He says, that's what I want for you guys. I want you to partake of that, that awesome gift of giving, the grace of giving, as he calls it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But as he's working, as he's laboring, as he's working with these two hands, and you can just picture him holding up his hands as he's dictating it to his secretary, he says there in, uh, or it says there in verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both the Jews and the Greeks. Chapter 17 tells us it was his custom to go into the synagogues and to preach the gospel there first. We see him reasoning and persuading of, of, of term, couple of words that we're getting used to hearing by this point after chapter 17 and already here. Reasoning is that Greek word uh, dialogueto, where we get our word dialogue. You probably remember that from chapter 17, but it means to present a sound, thoughtful, and logical concept. To just reason, to dialogue with people and, and to have talk and just to present through conversation sound, logical concepts concerning Jesus being the Christ. But with that, he persuaded them. It's the word apethen. And it speaks of a continuation of an ongoing process brought about by the dialogue. It's not always something that happens right then, but over time as you're just you're living amongst the people, you're reasoning with the people, you're having dialogue with the people, the Holy Spirit is working in them a persuasion that the concepts you're speaking are actually quite logical. Now we know that the concepts that Paul taught, they weren't his own thoughts, were they? But he reasoned from the, reasoned from the scriptures, uh, chapter 17 tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you're a, a quick flipper, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see the manner in which Paul preached to this synagogue. 
First Corinthians two, one, it says, Hey brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we see here in Corinth, what was it like when Paul was reasoning and explaining and demonstrating? What was it like? Paul says, hey, when I was doing it, it wasn't all about me and my eloquence. And, you know, I had my PowerPoint presentation all ready for you. And I just had a golden tongue of oration, you know, like Apollos did. We're going to read later on in this chapter. The golden orator. Paul wasn't. He says, man, I was in weakness and trembling and fear. And yet it wasn't a distracting thing. Someone comes to your door to sell you beef jerky sticks or Girl Scout cookies or whatever. And, would you like to, oh, would you like to buy a Girl Scout cookie? Oh, I'm trembling and weak. And, you know, you're like, uh... This is an odd way of, but yes, I'll buy them. <laughs> you know, uh, but it, there was power. There was power, but it wasn't Paul's power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I was there in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. And it was then that the people were persuaded. When it was the Holy Spirit powerfully speaking into the hearts of men there. And it says there in verse 5 of Acts chapter 18. That when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. I love that phrase, Paul being compelled by the Spirit. It means he was moved. He was moved by the Spirit. He was pressed by the Spirit to move past his comfort zone and to tell the people of the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Have you been compelled Can you think of a time when you've been compelled by the Holy Spirit? I think that there's times the Holy Spirit's been compelling you, yet we suppress that so much because of our fear. Man, may you have an ear to hear and a heart that's sensitive to when the Holy Spirit would be moving you to open your mouth about the gospel and to not be afraid to tell people about Jesus. We were talking yesterday in the men's group. We had a circle here of chairs and and we've just been encouraging each other to live missionally and to live with a gospel-centered, gospel-focused life in all that we do. That would result in, obviously, sharing the gospel with people. So we've been encouraging each other and hearing stories about how people have triumphed in sharing the gospel or how people have just been struggling in sharing the gospel. One guy opened up his mouth and just said, man, first guy, you know, man, I just got to confess, guys, I struggled this week because where I work, I just so want to fit in with the guys and impress the guys. And I know when I start being that Jesus freak and start opening my mouth about Jesus, that uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, that's out the window, that whole being a friend and a pal. And Kevin just spoke, man, I think that there's a struggle there because you can't have both. You can't have those two things. You can't live all out for Jesus and also be a friend with the world. You know, and we were all challenged with that because we all struggle with that, that man, we don't want to oh, mess up the, the comfort zone in a room when we throw the J word out there. You said Jesus. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Everybody's sweating. You've offended everybody. You've messed up the feng shui in the room or whatever it's called, you know, which I don't believe in that stuff. But, you know, whoa, oh, okay. threw a wrench in the gears. You said Jesus. You started talking about Jesus. You know, it's going to mess up friendships or it's going to, you know, make friendships. Jesus said, don't be surprised when you're persecuted because they hated me first. A disciple's not above his master. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. And so if we live in that world of being afraid to, to screw up the relationships or you know, to mess up the peace in the office place, to be called a Jesus freak and be mocked and to be spat upon, guys, that is a cost that we must count as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, which means little Christ. Are you a little Christ? And you're going to offend people when you speak the truth about the kingdom, God's plan of redemption. I was also hanging out with a guy this week. The Lord's been giving me opportunity to minister to. And um, we're sitting in the car. We're, we're waiting to, to do something. And, and he's talking about his life and all these things and all these problems and talking about good things. We're talking about stuff. 
And I just was compelled by the Holy Spirit to stop, stop talking about stuff. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about how the gospel transforms us. And I just had to say, hey, dude, <laughs> you know, I said, hey, can I speak the truth to you? And he's like, I'll try to, I'll try to, I'll try to let you. <laughs> you know, I can't remember. He says, I'll try to hear it, you know. And I was like, okay, Jesus loves you, man. And I just went off, you know, on how much Jesus loves him and, you know, God's plan of redemption for him and for his life. And I talked about idolatry. I talked about how we've exchanged the glory of God and we've started to worship the created things that, you know, that that God created. We've given it glory rather than God. And yet God still loves us and came and sent his son to die for us that we could be forgiven even though we're at war with him. And he wants to change us and make us new and make us new creations and give us an inheritance and an adoption and a peace and a mission and an adventure in him and internal hope and you know, and it was like, woo, <laughs> roll the windows down, you know, and you know, it's funny because he actually came to church today and he's like, I knew you were talking about me. I was like, yeah, well, wasn't it great though? And I was like, I don't care what you think about me. We got to talk about what matters. And he's like, yeah, it sure was awkward at first, but man, it was good. Don't worry about messing up the mojo or whatever it is. Just talk about Jesus unleash the beast. You don't have to defend the beast. Let the beast go. Let the gospel attack. You know, let it do the work. Open up your mouth and let the Holy Spirit speak for you and bring to remembrance the things that you've taught, uh, that he's taught you. He'll do it. There's so many of us that can tell you in this room that we are not, you know, bold little Billy Grahams, you know, or whatever, just going down the street, talking to everybody about Jesus, you know, but we know that when we're compelled by the Holy Spirit to talk to somebody, and I'm telling you, I've been in the place where I'm, I'm going, just open up your mouth. I'm literally saying this, just open up your mouth. You can hear the squeaking in the hinges of my, I have TMJ, but you know, you can hear the squeaking in my hinges of my jaw as I open my mouth to tell about Jesus. And then out it comes and the gospel is, is and you know, And it offends people and it stumbles people and it changes people. And you know what? Out of a hundred people, 99 of them might reject you and call you your stupid. But you know what? There's that one or there's that two or five or 20 that they will receive Christ. They will heed the words that are spoken by you. And I'll tell you, it's all worth it. All that rejection is worth it. It's all worth it. But he's compelled by the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak. But when was he compelled? What does it say there? It was when Silas and Timothy showed up. It was when his friends showed up. There's encouragement in that camaraderie there. You have friends like that. Every time you're around them, they're just spurring you on for Christ or encouraging you to be a witness. Let's, let's stop talking about stuff. Let's talk about Jesus and let's talk about Jesus to people. Those friends are awesome. And if you don't have those friends, then be that friend. Remember in high school, just uh, a lot of guys that were just bold witnesses that I loved to be around and they encouraged me. But there were two guys, upperclassmen. I was a, like a freshman and they were juniors and seniors. And I just remember like, you know, looking up to them as, as older brothers, but they loved Jesus and they were not afraid to be bold witnesses and they would share Christ everywhere. And I remember as a probably 14, 15 year old kid, about 15, uh, riding in the car next to my sister, driving down Kings Boulevard in Corvallis and looking over at the 7-Eleven. And as we go by, I'm like, oh, there's my buddy Ivan. And Ivan was there with his big old black open Bible, you know, and he's talking to this guy outside of 7 and, uh, and he's holding his Bible like this. And he's just, you can tell he's pleading with the guy. And I remember as a 15 year old kid being so encouraged to watch an 18-year-old kid outside of a 7-Eleven reasoning with somebody from the scriptures. And I'll tell you, I wanted to be like that. I didn't want to be that guy in particular, but I wanted to be like that. I was so encouraged. And you know what? That held with me all through high school. I just began to, to be a bold witness. So, you know, I'm so encouraged to not be alone in this. There's other guys that are doing the same thing. You know, we're, we're together in this battle. 
You know, every Saturday morning after being in the men's group and sitting here with 15 guys or whatever, and, you know, we're just talking about how, man, I failed this week. I didn't even tell a person about Jesus. I hardly prayed this week, you know. And, oh, pray for me. All right, yeah. And, you know, a couple of, yeah, I was able to reach out to these people and be amongst this group and just, you know, open my mouth about Jesus a couple of times. And, and, but after that, we're all like, let's go take the town for Jesus now, <laughs> you know. Let's go do it. Let's go walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, you know, fulfill the Great Commission. You know, there's, there's encouragement in that camaraderie. I think that's why Hebrews chapter 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. It's the manner of some. It's the manner of some of you to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it goes on to say there that we're to exhort one another so much more as we see the day approaching. Man, when we come together, it's not just everyone coming together and then we just sit here and then we run out. But if you were to assemble together, what does that mean? Man, we're putting ourselves together as the body of Christ to function as the body of Christ should function. Hands functioning as hands, eyes functioning as eyes, you know, feet as feet. Epiglottises as epiglottises, you know, whatever they do, you know. But we're, we're assembled, we're functioning as an assembly of the saints, don't be someone that isolates yourself. You're missing out. You know, we're told in the Old Testament that as iron sharpens iron, that's what we do as brothers. We sharpen each other. If you're never being sharpened, then man, you are dull, rusty blade. God wants to sharpen you. Don't isolate yourself. There are women's groups throughout the week. They care so much about you that they, they have two different times for you gals to meet and to be encouraged and to be in fellowship. And only girls know what girls go through. And you're able to share with each other, I'm going through this, pray for me. And you women are able to encourage and strengthen each other. Guys, same thing. Multiple times during the week that guys meet. Multiple times in the week that the, the, the body fellowships together. But you got to meet us halfway. People are trying to be there for you and anything short of coming into your house and tearing down the door and getting you out of bed and bringing you, we can't do that. Meet us halfway. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you know what? As you do, you will be compelled like Paul to witness that Jesus is the Christ in this world. And also to just, man, to live a life that's glorifying to the Lord, to be encouraged and to be corrected and to be strengthened and to encourage others, to bear one another's burden. So fulfilling the law of Christ. But in verse 6, it says that, you know, as, as Jesus preached at, uh, at the end of verse 5, um, Paul preached that to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. That means he's the anointed one, the long-awaited deliverer of Israel. The one who would come and the government would rest upon his shoulders. And the one who is the Prince of Peace and the, the Counselor. He's called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's the one that opens the eyes of the blind and unstops the ears of the deaf. And proclaims liberty to the captives and to those that are oppressed. And you know the good news is today, even though you might not be Jewish, you still can partake of the Messiah today. You can be freed if you're under oppression and bondage today. If you're spiritually blind and deaf today, Jesus can unstop your eyes and unstop your ears. He can be your God with you today. He's the Messiah, and it's good news for every single one of us here. As Jesus, as a Joseph was told by the angel in Matthew chapter 1, you shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from his sins. That's the job of the Messiah right there. Save his people from their sins. And if you partake of Jesus, you'll be forgiven of your sins, you'll be given new life, and you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of victory in this day and age. And that was the message that was preached, that Jesus is the Christ. But those Jews, they opposed him in verse 6, and they blaspheme. And he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Not a huge surprise that the Jews here opposed him. That means that they set themselves against him. They blasphemed not only God, but they blasphemed Paul and the apostles. As we see in, in the next chapter, Acts 19.9, some would harden their hearts and not believe, and they would speak evil of the way. That's what uh, Christianity was called before we were called Christians. It was called people of the way. They'd be spoken evil of, and that's what the Jews did. You know, there's a neat thing in God's sovereignty, how he's able to use persecution for the good. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. 
For the spirit of God and glory rests upon you. It says on their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Isn't that crazy that in God's sovereignty, he is able to be glorified when we're getting mocked and opposed and spat upon and beaten and excluded from, you know, cliques and friendship circles or whatever. Oh man, it hurts so bad. But you know what? He's glorified. On their part, they're blaspheming him, but he's glorified. And you know, I wonder where you're at today. Are you living a life that is blaspheming God? You know, as the Jews here would not receive the message of the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah, in that, they are blaspheming God because Jesus is God. And for them to deny that, to them, for them to oppose that in any way, was blasphemy. Of course, the Jews didn't think that, but we who know the scriptures and the word of God, we know that. To deny Jesus is blasphemy. Anything less than giving God what he's due is blasphemy. You know, Matthew chapter 12 tells us that, you know, Jesus tells us, if, if you're not for me, then you're against me. There's no gray area with Jesus. You know, to be a lukewarm Christian is to be a non-Christian. There's no gray area. You're either for Jesus or you are against Jesus. And then he goes on to say, many sins will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. You know, the Holy Spirit, man, he has a task on this earth, the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit has a job to convict this world of sin. And boy, howdy, aren't we all convicted all the time of our sin? And we are moved to repentance. He convicts this world of righteousness, the righteousness of God. And then we're convicted of the judgment to come. And man, as we are convicted by the gentle Holy Spirit, as he is speaking into us, hey, I'm God, I see your heart, I know what's going on. Here's God's standard of righteousness and who he is, and here's where you're at. And buddy, you need some help, man. You need some righteousness, and that is available through Jesus Christ. The righteousness that is in Jesus Christ can be imputed into your account so that you can be oomphed up in righteousness level. But you know what? All that iniquity that was in your account, that's put on Jesus Christ at the cross. Holy Spirit. Spirit is just speaking this through to you in your heart, when you're by yourself at home, when you're in your car, and when the preacher is here on a Sunday morning and he's preaching to you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. But if your whole life, you just sit there and you deny that and you oppose that and you reject that Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, the day's going to come when it's over. There will be a day when the Holy Spirit will not convict you anymore. You'll be dead. You'll be standing there before God and you will have nothing to show for yourself but your own sin and shortcomings. You've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You said, forget you, Holy Spirit. I don't need you. I don't want you. I reject the message that you bring about Jesus Christ and about sacrificing my life to Christ and giving it over to him. I reject that. I don't want that. Where are you at today? Are you in the same place as the Jews, opposing the Lord? Sure, you might not be out there burning Christian flags and throwing rocks at Christians. But if you're not for him, you're against him. And I encourage you to search your heart today. And so as they opposed him there, it says that he shook his garments there at the end of the, the verse. If I can find it here. Um, yeah, he shook off his garments and, and then he said something to them. But, you know, Jesus said, whoever doesn't receive you or hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, kick off the dust from your feet and, uh, and uh, you know, don't take that dust with you. Goes on to say, assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that city on this day of on the day of judgment. So we're told after a time of sharing Christ and bearing the banner and being rejected, we're to kick off our dust or, you know, Paul here shakes off his garments and couple ideas on that. Number one, you know, don't let anything cling to you from them that would give them a justification for their rejection of Christ. Whether you're going door to door or wherever you're at, you're sharing Jesus, they reject you. 
They don't receive the message that you bring. And yet, as you leave the house or leave the place, you know, they're giving you gifts. You know, they're basically buying off, um, you know, the, the agreement to disagree. Hey, yeah, well, I know we did. We agreed to disagree. Yeah, Jesus isn't God. And, you know, hey, but hey, take a bag of churros and a glass of milk, you know. But hey, at least I gave them something, you know. And they'll justify that in their heart. Man, we don't want to even leave them, you know, we don't even want to take the dust from their house with us if they reject Christ. Also speaks of not letting the experience of the town or the place getting to you. Don't even take the dust from that experience if you've been rejected. You know, Paul having been beat up and stoned and, you know, mocked and just imprisoned and all of those things, he could have carried that with him. Oh, I'm afraid. And I've been, you know, and the Lord says, hey, don't take any of that with you. The next town might be different. You know, don't hold that, that fear or that shame even of being rejected. As one of my favorite pastors says, rather than getting shaken up, we need to shake it off. So don't get, I know every one of you have been rejected in some way. Don't get shaken up. Just shake it off. Shake it off and keep pressing on. But he also says this, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So there's this concept here. Paul had the mind in mind the principle of personal responsibility to speak to men on God's behalf. This, uh, 1 Corinthians tells us we are ambassadors of Christ. Ezekiel chapter 3. Go ahead and flip back there. Ezekiel 3.16. Gives us this concept of being watchmen for the Lord. And in this case, Ezekiel uh, is the watchman. Ezekiel 3.16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying... Son of man, I've given, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. Hey, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from the righteousness and commits iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he's done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. As William MacDonald writes in his commentary, the apostles' words are a solemn reminder to every believer that there is such a thing as blood guiltiness. The Christian is a debtor to all men. If he fails to discharge that debt by proclaiming the gospel, God will hold him responsible. If, on the other hand, he faithfully witnesses for Christ and meets with stubborn refusal, then he himself is free from guilt and the responsibility rests with the Christ rejecter. In other words, it's not our job to see people converted or saved. That's God's work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But it is our job. We're ambassadors of Christ. We've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job to share the truth with wicked men. And once we do that, we're clean. There comes a point when we say, you know what? I've shared with you. I've told you the truth. You're rejecting that. I can't do any more. I can't do it for you. I can pray and just pray to be able to continue to share this with you. But I've told you, I'm, I'm clear in this matter. Now, of course, on the, on the subject of blood guilt, you know, man, it's so quick to like be condemned. And I mean, I'm telling every single person about Jesus. And, you know, man, God is a gracious God. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. We know that that guilt is not going to be him sending us to hell or something like that. We know that from scripture. But on that day, man, when we witness the judgment of the living and the dead, and there are people within our circles that are brought before God, and, and we had the opportunity to share with them, and we never did, I think it's just going to be a sobering, sobering thing. I think it's going to be just a day of, of grief, day of sorrow. And, you know, man, I don't know. But praise the Lord, if we're able to share with someone, we can say, hey, you know what? I did what I could do. I've shared with you, you know. And Paul does that. You know, he doesn't once for all leave the Jews and say, forget the Jews. No, in Romans chapter 9, we see he has such a heart for the Jews that he would be willing to be going to hell 
if the nation of Israel would be saved, you know, that was his, he was willing to count that cost. He still had such a love for the Jews. And he still, even at the end of this chapter, you see him going into the synagogue in Ephesus. But his real ministry, his real calling was to the Gentiles. You see that all throughout the book of Acts, all the time he's mentioning and the Lord is mentioning, hey, I've called this guy to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles would hear it, man, they'd be stoked. Wow, this guy is called to minister to us non-Jews. And he would even say, hey, in the same way that Peter, James, and John were called to minister to Israel and to the Jews, uh, Barnabas and myself, we're called to the Gentiles. We're called to the Gentile world to teach them the unsearchable riches in Christ. And so as we, we uh, go on, so he, he says, all right, you know, your blood be upon your own head. I'm shaking the dirt off. You guys have rejected and opposed me and blasphemed the name of Christ. Verse 7, it says that he departed from there and he went miles and miles away. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. You got to love that. Is that not hilarious? No, nobody. I mean, he's like opposing. He like full on kicks off the dust. It is a whip, man, you know, blood me on here. All right, yeah, you too. Yeah, you want to... goes in next door in fact the synagogue in in justice's house probably shared a wall you know and so if that's not setting up shop next to your competitor you know i don't know what is but uh there's i think there's humor in it i don't know i see humor in everything it's kind of a distraction um but how cool there's this guy justice he fears the lord and um and uh, in verse 8, it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Romans 11 tells us that we as Gentiles who've been saved, we haven't been saved to replace Israel. But through our salvation, we're to provoke the Jews to jealousy. That's exactly what happened next door. You hear these worship services going on. Paul and Justice and, you know, the Silas and Timothy, they're just worshiping and the whole house of, um, you know, Justice House, you know, and, and Crispus is like next door in the synagogue, like setting up the, like the book, you know, and kind of like, man, really sounds like they're meeting with God in there, you know? just going to go check it out. Kind of looks out the window. You know, eventually he gives his heart over to Jesus. His whole house ends up getting saved. I mean, that was the tiny little ember in Corinth that set the whole town ablaze for Christ. There was a real revival that, that took place. People would hear the word of God. And you just see the process of salvation. They heard, they believed, and then, they, and then uh, just a, a fruit of their belief, their fruit of their being saved was that they went and they were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision saying, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I'm with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. You know what Paul's thinking is like, this is great. Revival's happening, but I've seen it all before. People getting saved, whole households getting saved, you know, all this happening. Somewhere in here is a beating and an imprisonment and a rock tossed at my head. And, you know, you can get rocks tossed to your head so many times before you start wearing a bike helmet around, you know, just kind of, oh, yeah, to, you know, and, and Paul, no doubt, was just like, man, this is all great, but I'd rather not get the snot beat out of me, you know? I'm a man. I have a frail body. Sticks and stones break my bones. You know, words also hurt, you know? And, uh, and the, the Lord knew that. And the Lord spoke to him and said, do not be afraid. And he said that to Paul because Paul was afraid. He says, don't be afraid, but speak don't keep silent. Open up your mouth. Don't keep silent. Have you guys ever been afraid and you just balked at witnessing? You just, you want to share Christ, but you just, you're quiet. That's where Paul was. The temptation was there for Paul. And there's three, you know, special vitamins given to Paul here in verse 10, three different things. I am with you. That's God's presence. And I think this is a word spoken to us today as we're encouraged to be when it says, I'm with you, his presence. No one will attack you to hurt you. That's his protection. And I have many people in this city. That's his promise for success. I believe that's a word for us today as well. He continued there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul, brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be no reason why I should hear, uh, there would be reason why I should bear with you. 
But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. And so you just see, you know, I have people in this city, Jesus promises. Probably people that are going to be saved as well as people that are going to show favor towards Paul and towards the Christians. I believe Galileo was one of these guys. Really cool that Galileo makes this judgment here that it's a matter, the dispute here is a matter between Jews and Christians. It's, a, it's an issue of, you know, really within the sect of Judaism. And he says, the Roman law, it's not an issue for us. And that's a precedent that was set to really help the church and further the gospel across, um, across Europe, across the world, and, and really uh, help with persecution uh, for a while. But Paul there ministered for a year and a half. And if he would have let fear get to him, that would have been a year and a half, uh, and a half of incredible ministry, just you know, really wasted. But don't be afraid is that word from Jesus. You know, the, the Lord would tell the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when he would call them to be prophets, he'd just speak these words to him, you know, don't be afraid. And he would say to him, like in Jeremiah 117, he says, prepare yourself to arise and speak to them all what I command you. And he says this, don't be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. And Ezekiel 2 and Ezekiel, and a, Ezekiel 2 verses 6 and 7 says, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. When you go to share Christ with someone, don't look at their face. Don't be afraid of their face. They're mere men. Fear God. The fear of man is a snare. And in closing, check out the end of verse 17, or the, uh, just verse 17. The dude Sosthenes, who was the ruler of the synagogue, he's the guy that replaced Crispus. Sosthenes is, is driven out and beaten before the judgment seat. Want to know an awesome thing about that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of the letter to this town, Corinth. Listen to what it says. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Isn't that incredible? Man, I just got goosebumps even reading that, that this guy that was against Paul and brought all the, you know, brought this accusation into the Supreme Court of Corinth got beat up, kicked out, and somehow, I bet that it was the compassion of Paul, Silas, Crispus, Justice, getting him after he'd been beat to a pulp, taking him, washing his wounds the way the Philippian jailer had done to Paul, and loving on him that led him to Christ. Maybe you're in that place where you're just getting the beat down put on you and God is beating you to bring you to him. He does that. I hope, I hope it's not for long, but he does that. He chastens those that he loves. He chastens those that he loves. Uh, Stuart, you can come on up. And I just remember uh, my pastor, Rob, was the high school pastor down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And he had this... Uh, High school kid that all those four years in college or in high school was this just this kid that just would never give it all over to Jesus. And one day at the graduation ceremony, the kid comes up to my pastor, Rob, and he's and Rob just feels like a word of the Lord for this guy that, hey, God wants you and he's going to bring you through a period of being beaten and chewed up and spit out so that you'll follow him. And. I hope it doesn't happen. I just feel that's a word for you. So be warm and be filled. You know, kid comes back to him 10 years later. Not a kid anymore. Grown up man, actually. Probably 29, I would think. Um, and he says, hey, Rob, you remember when you said that to me in the graduation ceremony? He goes, you wouldn't believe what happened. I was drunk one night driving home from a party, driving down the, the beach there in Orange County. And, uh, you know, got in a car accident, flipped off the road, was shot out of my car, uh, all the way down, like broke every bone in my body. The car landed on top of me. We were rolling all over the place and I was left down there at the bottom of the cliff for like a long time. Nobody knew that I was there. And it was down there as I lay in a bloody pulp with the car burning around me that I gave my life over to Jesus and your prophecy was fulfilled. And I hope that God doesn't have to do that to any of you, but if he does, it's because he loves you. He chastens those that he loves. He corrects those. 
You know, may we surrender now. May we fall on the rock and be broken, as Jesus says. Because if you don't fall on the rock and be broken, the rock is going to fall on you. And Jesus says it's going to grind you to powder. So today as we sing, man, let this be a time of repentance, of turning from sin. If you've had a life of opposition and blasphemy to the gospel and obedience to Jesus Christ, repent right now. Confess your sins before Jesus and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Today, repent. I don't know how to repent. Just confess to Jesus. Lord, I see what you see, all this that's been going on. I know it's wrong. Please forgive me. You're the only one that can forgive. It's by your blood that I'm forgiven. Please forgive me right now and help me to live for you. Just right now, just confess that with your heart. If you're not for Jesus today, we're talking the Jesus of the Bible who says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. And if you don't want to do that, you're against him. Maybe today, just pray out to Jesus, Lord, I don't want to be against you. I want to be for you. Even confess right now, Lord, the thought of denying myself, that is hard. But you're worth it. You denied yourself, Jesus when you laid down on the cross and bore my sin and shame. Just right now where you're at, fall on the rock, be broken, confess your sin, receive your forgiveness of sin. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to empower you to live a life for Christ. For those of you that are Christians here, as we close in this song, maybe you have been feeling fear and timidity. Timothy's told, hey, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. If you've been recognizing there's a lack of power in your life, at your work, at your school, in your club, in your, on your team, all that, you've just been fearful, you've been timid, I would encourage you today to stand and to say, Lord, I want to be compelled by you to share Jesus Christ as the Messiah. I want to be bold to open my mouth to everybody I come across. I don't want to be guilty of the blood of anybody. If you want boldness today, if you want courage, if you want power, just stand today and ask for it. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. That includes Prineville, Redmond, Crook County, Deschutes, all of that. And if you want power today, just stand and ask for power. He's a good father and he knows how to give good gifts. So if that's you in this song, maybe today you just gave your life to Christ. You received his free gift of salvation and you want power to live like Paul. You can stand too and cry out for the Holy Spirit to just be poured out as torrents of living water will come upon you. So ask for that today as we close in song. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.